1: Welcome to an exciting episode of Bitches on Comics. I am one of your hosts, Sarah Century.
2: Hi, and I'm S.E. Flenor, and I'm super pumped. We have today our most recurring guest, believe that is a technical term, guest ever, Stephanie Williams. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Hey, y'all. And um I get to introduce somebody, so that's what happens when you're on this podcast a lot. you do not even <laughs> guess anymore. We put you to work. Yeah. We're like, come on. <laughs> like you know where things are in the fridge. But today we have we have the illustrious Vita Ayla with us. Um hey Vita. Hey, uh
4: I guess I haven't been on enough to introduce anyone, so uh, <laughs> hi. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be next time. Next time you're on, we'll have nice. you
2: introduce someone. <laughs> I'll hold you to it. <laughs> oh, Vita, we're so pumped that you're here. This is like a, a, a dream come true. Listeners will remember Vita from many, many, many episodes, and specifically from episode two, where Xena, Warrior Princess, was our comic of the week. Episode 49, where The Wilds was our comic of the week. And episode 78, where Livewire was our comic of the week. And you know what's funny, folks? I don't think we ever even realized that we had done three of Vita's amazing comics, but they're just so good. We can't stop. We can't (laughs) stop. We won't stop. Vita, thanks for being here.
3: (laughs) Thank you so much for having me and for being so
4: kind. (laughs) I don't Uh, know how to respond to compliments, except mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to do the, like, just saying thank you instead of being self deprecating.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one.
1: Mm-hmm. It takes a minute. And then <laughs> there was for me a time period where I went far in the other direction. <laughs> where Say I'd it again be like, forever. because it's great. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I respect that and I love that for you. <laughs> thank you. I, I had to retire it. <laughs> People didn't love it universally. It wasn't a universal hit. <laughs> Oh, oh y'all are great. <laughs> I can just see it. Someone
2: compliments me, and I'm like, oh, did you hear that bird whistle? Everyone's like, excuse me? I'm like, what? What day is it? When? Hmm?" (laughs) Distraction. (laughs) Deflecting. not saying it works, but everyone is worried about me, so (laughs) we have that going for me. Oh, man, what a day. What is happening inside of me? Uh, So, obviously, Vita, you are an incredible comic creator. How long have you been making
4: comics, and what do you think of as your first comic that you wrote? Oh, good questions. I've been making comics professionally since 2016. I took part in the DC Writers Workshop that year. I think it was that year. Time's a flat circle right now, so forgive me. Uh, But yeah, I believe it was that year, and I think I had my first published DC work out that year. My first DC work was a short in the New Talent Showcase that came out that year, and it was a Wonder Woman short that I collaborated with carrie randall who's an incredible artist so yeah um and then my next work that came on i believe was the wilds wow what an what an opening we'll just go ahead and do
2: wonder woman and follow that up with one of my favorite takes on zombies ever yeah. the wilds <laughs> it's so cool i have like four billion questions but I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna dominate <laughs> i'm gonna say hey sarah Steph, where do you want to go from here
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, we can talk about the wilds, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to yeah. so
2: steamroll right into it, but I was like, "Am I being too controlling? Am I?" No. I have to remember, I'm not the only person here. <laughs> <laughs> That's true.
1: That's true. Um, but now that all of the egos out of the way, we can ask about the wilds. The entire comic is truly like one of my favorite comics. So I guess it's hard to know where to start. Do you have a question? I just
3: want to gush about it because I yeah. remember that was actually <laughs> my first time discovering Vida. Um, and once upon mm-hmm. a time ago, when I did have a podcast, I was like, oh, my God. So I'm going to reach out to this writer. Hopefully they say yes to coming on. And I just remember like what a joy it was to talk to you about that process and just the story that you were trying to tell or did tell, I should say, and why it was so different and so refreshing on this uh, genre that has... Ooh, they are still working it. Um, isn't there a zombie movie coming out this week from like that Zack Snyder fellow?
4: Is oh, is that this week?
3: All right, yes, so it is.
4: I legitimately am kind of super excited to watch that movie. It just looks so redonkulous.
3: Oh, I'm um, ready for it. It's yeah, Elvis, it looks- a zombie tiger. So, yeah. <laughs> the
4: zombie tiger. Oh, also, it's at home,
3: it's free. It's free, well, not free, free, but you know,
4: you know, you know. Right. Movie. Streaming price.
2: Uh, Yeah, it looks really, really silly. So I think building (laughs) on on what what Steph is saying, you know, Vita, the wilds is such a particular take on zombies. And Sarah and I, you know, we talked a lot about the meaning we found and the idea of this sort of return to nature, being taken by nature way of zombifying people. It's oh my God, so pretty on the page.
4: As horrifying as it is, it's quite beautiful. Oh, Emily is incredible. Emily and oh, Marissa Emily. are just like, they were a team made in heaven. Um, I miss working with them every day.
2: <laughs> oh, absolutely mm. incredible work. Truly just some of my favorite, favorite comic work. And I'm just curious, where did that version of Zombies come from? And
4: what do you think you learned in the process of writing it? Initially, i had been like tooling around with the idea since I was in college just a zombie narrative that was centered around queer brown people and specifically a a queer black woman. Um, But initially it was just, it was like the crazies. If you've ever seen that movie, it was as much more like, you know, people flipping out 28 days later, kind of rage, rage zombies, which made sense at the time. But the best thing about comics is collaborating, right? It's the alchemy that happens when you put two or three people together and you, you know, all of the ideas that you've brought become something completely new. And so when I started talking with Emily about doing work, you know, we talked about a couple of things. And she was like, okay, like, let's do this zombie thing. And my question is always in that case, like, hey, what do you want to draw? Because you're going to have to draw this forever. (laughs) As an artist, you're going to have to just be with it forever. And she was like, well, I really like cute girls, nature, and mutations. And I was like, so my pitch is one of those. So let's go back to the drawing board there. um but as we were talking you know just getting to know each other uh one of the things that she told me was that her her mom was a horticulturalist and I was like "Ooh, that's really fascinating plants are cool I love plants um and we started talking about just the weird and cool things that plants do Uh, we started talking about video games we were playing like last of us and that kind of stuff and I was like huh okay let's do something with that and so the the idea of these kind of natural looking floral zombies came out of those conversations emily's wonderful brilliant she was 20 when she drew that book which still makes me feel feels like my bones are turning to dust (laughs) um and i learned so much working on that book not just sciencey stuff i did weird amounts of uh research for that book uh into viruses and and bacteria's and and fungus, like trying to figure out how uh, something like that would spread. I never really tell people what it is because I didn't want to be beholden to anything in particular. But I, you know, I tried to base it on something that could conceivably happen. Right. So the the idea is that, and this doesn't necessarily come across in the book itself, Uh, but the idea is that this thing that they catch, whether it's a disease or a fungus or whatever, it doesn't cause the flowers to grow. Uh, It just makes people's bodies incredibly fertile soil, basically. And so whatever seeds are around get caught in their wounds and in their, you know, their orifices, and that's why they grow. So one of the things that we, for example, talked about is like where it took place so that as much as we could, the plants would be conceivably in the area to germinate and take root. Um, So yeah, I learned a bunch about that kind of stuff. And then also just learned a bunch about myself
1: uh, writing that book. (laughs) I learned a lot about myself reading that book. Um, (laughs) I was wondering, do you like horror comics? Have you been reading horror comics for a long time? Or do you have a relationship with them already? I love horror comics. I'll read almost anything.
4: I'm a pretty voracious reader in general. But like, I've been super into manga since I was like a preteen and there's a bunch of cool horror stuff that happens there. I'm a huge Hellboy fan. I'm a huge fan of pretty much anything that was like printed in the 80s. (laughs) There's a lot of cool stuff happening in the 80s, but also the older stuff too, like the old EC stuff. Um, So yeah, I have a a very big love of horror comics. Uh, There's a bunch of really great stuff coming out right now as well that I get to just ingest (laughs) and enjoy.
1: So yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that there are a ton of horror comics coming out right now, which is so exciting. Yeah, I'm super stoked about it. I love
4: like hardcore horror, but also I love a good psychological thriller. I love, I love like things that fill you with dread <laughs> as well. Uh, one of my favorite things that happened the year that, within months that The Wilds came out, Annihilation came out right after, and I was like, "Excellent! There's something in the air. <laughs> like this is it. <laughs> Floral horror."
3: Oh, my God. I remember that. And I remember being in the movie theater like, oh, my God, do we need the sue? (laughs) I know that wasn't the case, but (laughs) it was actually um, really cool to like see that in live action because that's exactly how I imagine, you know, like the full realized world of the wilds. And actually even hearing you say that the idea is that your skin is very fertile. And that sounds like in just me having allergies like my worst nightmare. Yes. This pollen is everywhere and just, you know, waking up one day and you got a bunch of plants on you like that. Actually, I will have nightmares. Tonight, <laughs> so thank you.
4: My wife is uh, writing a novel that is also has some floral horror in it and it's very it's just I think there's just something about this era right now where we're we're exploring how things that are beautiful can also be absolutely just horrific. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I love talking about like Steph was just saying, the way that the zombie, the zombieification, the process, <laughs> the way it works, like that is so fascinating. And people are often shocked to learn this, which I'm like, I'm a tourist. I love nature. I am very <laughs> into gardening. Like my birthday was this last week and I spent oh, the entire day birthday. like in the garden. Thank you so much. In the garden, digging thing. you know, looking at the worms going, look at these worms. Look how happy these worms are. And I it, miss you. Is kind, oh, worms are so special. You're just like, look at you, gross weirdo. I love you. <laughs> and that's how I feel about myself. So, again, back to therapy. That's what we're going to do today. <laughs> I think there's also something really special about the way that the relationship between Heather and Daisy unfolds and the different ways that they have tensions on the page like I, like, I think it's hard for queer people, and I, I would guess and tell me where I'm wrong, for black and brown queer people, there's this need to be perfect and for relationships to be perfect. And I, I remember even just when the pandemic got really, you know, things got more real in the U.S. because oh, we love to pretend <laughs> we're an island. And, you know, things were rough and and people were like, oh, all my straight friends are having a hard time, but all my queer friends are just fine. (laughs) And I just remember being like, that feels like a lot of pressure. (laughs) Like, I am (laughs) doing my damnedest to make this relationship work. And there are days it's easy and days I am just like... What have I done? <laughs> and I just, I think that Daisy and Heather have that sort of tension. And I'm, I wonder why that came out on the page the way it did and, and how it felt to write an imperfect and yet so
4: inspirational queer black and brown couple. One of the things that I wanted to do was not present anyone as perfect. Um, I think all of them are flawed individuals because I wanted them to feel real Or as real as possible, right? As real as you can make it with like 20-something pages. Um, And I thought to myself, all right, they have things in common, but it wouldn't make sense for the story, for everyone to have the same perspective on their experiences that they're going through. And so to have Daisy be the focal character, and she's a person who is very, she's had a lot of rough stuff happen to her. And so the way that she gets through that is to focus on the the right now and the, the good that she can do. Um, you know, her backstory is that she was in school to be a doctor before everything, before everything went to shit. And that's just who she is. Um, but for me, I love a good uh roguish character. I love a good character who's not necessarily selfish, but who who definitely has centered their own survival <laughs> in their life. I respect the the shit out of that. I envy that. Um, and so I wanted to make Heather not an opposite of Daisy, but kind of a counterpoint to her perspective because I needed both characters to grow by the end, um, but especially the main character. And so Heather's the kind of person who's like, yeah, I'm all about that community life, but I don't get down with being exploited. And so I, I liked the tension that those two things brought together. It was also really important for me to have most of of the runners, which are the, the people that are being exploited, um, for most of them to kind of buy into the system a little bit because uh, it was kind of a commentary on the situations that Black and brown people find themselves in. And how we are kind of fed this propaganda about the system, right? So in order for Daisy to break away from that, she needed to have someone that she trusted that had a, a view that while not a hundred percent opposing, at least kind of poked holes in her worldview. Uh, and, and that was really important to me that it be somebody that she trusts, because I think that it's really hard to hear from people you don't trust uh, about yourself, but your partner is supposedly someone who you've let in as far as you can go. And so. They're the person that kind of gets to tell you like they they get to call you on your bullshit, (laughs) Um, but they do it because they love you as opposed to manipulating you. And so I I needed that kind of relationship for the book. Um, And I think that for me, I wanted to show that you could go through that. You could have friction with your partner and you could have ideas that are very different, but you can get to a place where you are still together and thriving together. Um, So, yeah, that was really important for me to portray. Um, and also just, it was important for me to have an interracial couple that wasn't one white and one not white person. So to be able to kind of show some of the nuances in an interracial relationship without having one character be white was also really important
3: to me. I love how the cat agreed the entire time. I know, I'm so sorry. It's, he was like, you preaching."
1: Cat friendly. I had to check to make sure it wasn't my cat. <laughs> it's like almost feeding time and they just flip out. My cat is so standoffish, except for when I'm recording. And then she's just like, what is up? And (laughs) jumps into my lap like, hello. Anyway, yeah, we understand. (laughs) This happens regularly. If
2: if the listeners don't like it, they can can plug their ears at intervals to not hear the cat. There Um, will sometimes be a cat, yeah. (laughs) There are going to be cats on the pod. That's just, it's part of the deal. And personally, I don't have cats, so I find it
4: adorable. Hello, little baby. I love you.
2: Like, that's all I hear the cat saying to me. It's all I'm saying to the cat.
4: Um, If you would like to borrow a cat, then that's totally fine.
2: (laughs) I get that feeling. Yeah, my dog today was like, oh, you're going to go back to work after taking some time off. Mm, what if I just poop in your study? Like, oh no what do you think of that? No. So it was nice and stinky, so I had to work in a different room. Oh. Uh TMI perhaps, but welcome to having pets. Yeah. Uh, for real. Yeah. Yeah. So so you know, we all they all have their drawbacks, you know? <laughs> mm,
3: yes, because mm-hmm. I will trade my human child for uh both pets. Uh, right <laughs>
2: That is love. That is exactly what love is. That's that.
1: That's exactly I'm hollering. Wanna
3: barter children? That's the that's the future I want.
1: I'm just thinking of all of the times whenever I'm like, I'm a mom too, a cat oh, mom, God. and like every mom looks at me with like
3: dagger. Eyes. No, 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 just, no, because I'm probably gonna ship the cats back too, and really just wash my hands of everyone and just walk away. With <laughs> Time to walk away. Like, yep. <laughs> move to another city, cut my yeah. hair into a Tony Braxton <laughs> shortcut. Um, <laughs> oh. Buy a Kia Soul and Oh then, my God. And, um, <laughs> Ma'am. <laughs> move into a cul de sac. Um, oh, wow, what, a,
2: what a dream. Know. What a highly That's
1: specific dream. Sp- I, I really <laughs> thought this out.
2: Okay, mine is to change all of my clothes to buy only black clothes, move to France, and start smoking oh. cigarettes. I mean, That's hey. as far as I've gotten with my get out of here
3: plan. That's not bad. That's not no, bad I actually really love that plan.
2: I think that the French would like me. I'm funny, you know, I'm self-deprecating. <laughs> I think we'd do fine.
1: I think the French would like me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I've been in the past, when I say they liked
2: me, I don't know. They don't really appreciate Americans, which is like fair enough. Neither do I. I. I.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um,
2: so we have that in common. you think we get along. But, you know, we'll get there. We'll get there. Me and the French. <laughs> New Another New conversation French. for therapy. <laughs> sure, yeah. Or a webtoon. <laughs> oh. oh, I like well, that yeah (laughs) the French are like you know what this person may never enter our country right
3: (laughs) but you will get those clicks
2: people read it what are you gonna do
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh
3: sweet heaven
2: hey listeners thanks for being with us here today Maybe, you don't know, but Sarah and I actually run a whole host of projects. This is Essie. Hopefully you know my voice, because I probably introduced myself in this episode, but who knows? Mm, Better do it again. Yeah, why not? And we actually have a publishing house called Queerspec. You can always go check it out. It's at queerspec.com. And that's where we host this podcast, Bitches on Comics, another cool podcast we're working on called Tales of the Sapphire Bay Hotel. If you want to know more, go to queerspec.com. And we have this very cool project called Decoded Pride. Dakota Pride is our story-a-day anthology of LGBTQ stories by LGBTQ creators. We're an independent series of projects, so everything that we fund, we fund ourselves. So that means that Sarah and I are out here hustling as freelancers. We're making money and sending it right into our other projects. And also eating sometimes. Sometimes. Mm, ramen. Mmm, delicious. So, Dakota Pride is amazing. I mean, we have so many stories by so many diverse voices. We have so many gender-variant authors that we're publishing. We've got comics, science fiction, fantasy, horror, the whole shebang. And you can just go check us out at decodedpride.com. Go buy a subscription right now. We want you to be with us reading these stories and helping prove there's an audience for Queer Stories
0: by Queer Creators. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here.
3: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
2: We spoke about Livewire most recently of the ones we've done for Comic of the Week of yours, Vida, and I... You know, I think we were both so deeply moved by Livewire. It's so... I think sometimes people say things like, superheroes are all the same, and Steph has been on the pod, and we've, like, yelled about
3: this. I'm ready to murder at this point.
2: (laughs) Yeah! It's like, oh, isn't it convenient that when, like, you think they're done because white men have done them, um, there are other people who might want to write about that genre. And that's, like, what Livewire feels like. There's so much in that comic that is fucking stunningly beautiful, the way her powers work, the way they show up on the page, Sarah and I are both like, well, you know what? Comics are perfect. I don't know what to tell everyone. This is art and I'm very happy. I don't know why I sound annoyed during it, but I'm so happy I'm annoyed. Um, LifeWire is so so incredible. And then you know you have the character of Pan who comes in and the tensions between them are so... They're so real, you know? I think that's the thing you said about the wilds. And I've been trying all day. I've been like, okay, I want to ask like one sweeping question about (laughs) Vita's giant body of work. (laughs) And I don't have it yet, but I'm hoping by the end of the pod I will. Uh, But this seems to be a thread, one of the threads I see, which is that people are imperfect. And the reason we love Amanda as Livewire is because she's imperfect. Because she makes mistakes and not small ones, right? No. She she costs a lot of lives and people are mad at her for a reason. And watching her sort of figure that out, understand it, and then like have to carry that pain, even as she's fighting someone who's like, you're worth nothing. And she has to like find that internal experience of like, no, I'm still worth something even if I fucked everything up. I'm like, Vita. why are you in my therapy sessions? Also, <laughs> like, how would how do you do this? It's so real and so inspiring. And I guess, I'm just curious, like, so many people come to superheroes, I think, readers and writers, with sort of a flatness. And there's just so much depth
4: to Amanda and to Livewire. And I'm curious how you brought that to the page. So I will say that 75% of it are the art teams, <laughs> I was blessed, absolutely blessed to be able to work with so many incredible people on on that book. I miss them every day, but pretty much I just wish I could work with everyone that I've already worked with forever. (laughs)
1: Um, It is a beautiful book, though. Just so gorgeous. It's so so beautiful.
4: I came on to working on the series coming right off of Harbinger Wars 2, which was this event that kind of spanned the big titles, I guess, um in in the Valiant Universe. And kind of part of my directive was to take <laughs> in that storyline, um, which comes off of Secret Weapons, which is an incredible, incredible book. Uh, I do suggest that everyone go read that. Amanda slash Livewire, uh the government is coming for empowered people. Their version of that are called Psyots. And she has kind of adopted this group of psyot young adults, youngins. She's their protector. She's she's not their mom. She's but she's like an older sister figure to them. And, uh, and the government literally comes to murder them. And so she, in a, in a kind of moment of panic and anger, goes full bore with her power, which is she's a technomancer, so she can control all technology, kind of like a less evil Siri. And she, uh, she just shuts off the country. And there's a lot of complications that come with that. I pick up right after that. So when I read that, I was like, okay, this is not a moment of malice. This is a moment of a loss of control. Right. She's an incredibly powerful character. So for me, what makes sense is that she's been holding herself back her entire, like the entire time that she's been activated in terms of her powers, which is a lot of her life. So it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, oh, no one should ever fuck around and find out because she will shut down the country by accident. Um, and then they, they did and they found out. Um, (laughs) but what does that mean to someone who kind of has seen themselves as a shepherd of, of kind of, Doing good for humanity in general. Um, she has been a superhero up until that point, but she's also worked for this organization that turned out to be evil, but like, it was like a, like a cult, um, kind of, but like the, the party line was we are doing things to advance humanity. We're doing things to protect people, to help people, to make people better. Um, and so if that's your entire identity and you've just killed countless amounts of people, by accident, what does that do to you psychologically? Well, at first you try to justify it to yourself, right? Like, I was trying to save my children. That's a real thing. That's true. But I still have to reckon with the fact that I caused harm. Um, and the whole series, it's <laughs> 12 issues, my directive was get her back to a place of, of maybe not being the world's hero, but seeing herself as someone who, who can don that role again. So it's less a like complete redemption story and more like a, you need to move her past rationalizations and into restitution, trying to make amends and then make her understand that you can never, ever make up for it. All you can do is get to a place where you realize you still have to do good. And so that was what I was working with. Um, I communicated pretty closely with the first art team and the, the last art team. Um, lots of emails back and forth, which was really, really great. So we got to kind of craft the story together and just kind of talk about the intersection of being incredibly powerful in one way and being incredibly marginalized in another. Um, she is a Black woman <laughs> in America. <laughs> that that doesn't matter that you can snap your fingers and the power goes out. Like, they're going to hunt you down. Um, and I wanted to reckon with what that meant. And someone that powerful who has a conscience. That's the difference between, to me, between Amanda and Pan. <laughs> Pan is just a complete Harada truther. They're like, no, you have a power and you use it to be in charge. That's the whole point. That's how you do good. Good through conquering. And Amanda's like, no, that's that's the opposite of good. So she has scruples. What does it mean to kind of navigate the world? when you can do that much damage, um, but you don't want to. (laughs) I've rambled. I'm sorry. (laughs) No,
3: you've done an excellent job because um, I think that's (laughs) one of the reasons why I really love that series so much because, again, you aren't tired of comics. You're just tired because you've been reading the same guys, write them over and over again. It's takes Mm -hmm. like this that remind me why, specifically, like the superhero genre within comics, I'm going to call it that, Um, is so special uh, because you can play around with these ideas of power that marginalized folks don't have in the real world and kind of apply those, you know, exactly what you said, like just, you know, amplified of, you know, Black person working in corporate or whatever. But now it's amplified um, because they have powers and, um, you know, they can make things happen. But um, as much as they can create futures. They can also, um, you know, destroy them at the same time. And then there's something incredibly powerful. And like, what does that mean? And what does that look like for someone who is marginalized? Because it looks completely different than someone who is a cishet white male. It's just two completely different things. And there's no way to approach those stories in the same way and take the same thing from either of those um, types of stories. So again, folks... When Essie and I are, like, hollering about (laughs) the fact that comics are still, you know, great, superhero comics are definitely still a thing that's worth your time, you know, this is what we're talking about. Um, So, no. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
4: I I think that, like, superhero comics to me are a place to wrestle with a lot of the morality questions that we have. And I don't Mm -hmm. mean, like, edgy stuff necessarily, not that that isn't cool, because I, 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 too, enjoy that kind of stuff. But like for me, you know, I still have questions about what I should and should not be doing. I still have a lot of like really fucked up stuff in my brain that was put there by like living in a white supremacist nation, and I have to work out the nuance of that. Um, and I think that if I'm having these these struggles, then other people are having those struggles, right? And superheroes are supposed to be both aspirational and also approachable, right? They have yeah. to be accessible, and so. That's what interests me in terms of writing superheroes. It's like they can't be perfect because then I learn nothing.
3: Exactly. Who wants an invaluable character?
4: Right. But they have to, they ultimately have to make the right choice. But what is the
3: right choice? Right. is <laughs> it been mine?
4: And it's not simple, right? Like we're, you know, I, I grew up uh, in New York City, uh, you know, I was born in 85. Uh, so uh, I, there's a lot of procedurals that I've watched during my life. Your law and orders, your CSIs, your this, your that, your NCIS, whatever. And they feed you a certain kind of institutional morality, right? And so now I have to deconstruct that and go, what were the good things there, but what was the propaganda? And to me, like superhero stuff is is a great place to do that because people, people look to superheroes to wrestle with their problems for them and to show them that they can make it. And so, yeah, that, that's what interests me about superheroes.
1: And it's like, it's grounded so strongly in anti-fascism, right? Like that's something that I think has been so prominent in superhero comics for so long. So I think whenever we see, (laughs) whenever we see that specific take, that's just like superheroes are jerks or whatever. Or they're cops. Yeah, or they're cops, which is like... (laughs) Listen,
4: sometimes they are cops, right? And that's a problem, right? But but that should be the point. The the point should be like, hey, the other superheroes don't like that.
3: (laughs) Right. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: Because it's about community, too, right? Like the, the idea of the individual versus the community. There are individuals, right, in our society, in our communities that have more ability than others. Do they use it in order to uplift their community or do they use it to lord over their community? That's what's important to me. And like, to me, that's what superheroes are. You have to have a community. Otherwise, you're not a superhero. You, you have to belong to something. Um, even if we're talking about Martian Manhunter, right? Like, who, who's an alien from Mars and who is, you know, an analog for a black man and all these kinds of things. But he, you know, he chose a community and now he, he is a part of it and he protects it from within. And that, that to me is the strength of a superhero going, no. The whole point is that we uplift our community and protect each other. Amen. (laughs) Anyway, my soapbox. (laughs) I love
1: the soapbox. Hop (laughs) up on it. It's called the podcast. (laughs) I was also going to say that as he and I have talked about this before because we covered like, you know, a series of different comics, but one was Kismet Man of Fate. And that comic was really good, I think, about just being like this superhero who's like, I actually don't really even want this position of power whatsoever. So, like, let's talk to people in the community. (laughs) It's just like, what? (laughs) This is a superhero
2: comic? He starts working with the community organizers to, like, organize people around
1: different issues. It's actually just super beautiful. It's a really good comic. Yeah, because it's almost a reimagining, but also Mm -hmm. just the progression. You know, it's like you think of where comics started, where superheroes started. And it's just like, honestly, sometimes I would find the conservatism that you sometimes see now to be more surprising than to be like, oh, there's a continuation of like, you know, people getting involved in their communities and helping out. And I know, I mean, I'm sure that I've talked to everybody about this before but you know Steph you were reading that era of Spider-Man where (laughs) Spider-Man is like yeah he's like against ice essentially right like I mean it's before ice but I just think that there's plenty of times where you're just like no this is a genre that definitely has kind of pushed progressive ideals for such a long time that it's uh yeah I don't know sometimes I'm a little bit more surprised (laughs) whenever I'm like oh Huh, I guess Batman's kind of a cop in this
3: issue or something like that. <laughs> no, it's true. Like, I recently um, went through, like, an Alpha Flight um, binge read. I don't know why. What? Yeah. <laughs> I want to
1: talk to you about this <laughs> because I, you're, you're officially the only other person who's read Alpha Flight. Welcome to the club. <laughs> and you
3: know what? Actually... Good, solid run. Um, And the issue that stood out to me the most was 106, and that's the one where they actually talk about the AIDS epidemic. And, like, they actually, you know, touch on it and make some really solid points um, Mm -hmm. to the point where, like, the very last page, I was like, why is this moisture coming from my eyes? (laughs) And it really shocked me because I just was not expecting that. But, like, the way that they just kind of talked about you know, how it was pawned off as a disease that was only like for the gay community. And then when there were stories that were coming out about other people getting either drug addicts or like small babies, um, then that's when the narrative started to change. But unfortunately for um, those within the queer community who passed away from AIDS were just reduced to being in statistics and the anger and frustration in that. And it was just... Played out so well between North Star and um, I forgot the name of the guy who came in to like beat his ass. I want to say Maple Leaf, but I feel like that is dead wrong. But he. That is a hilarious name. But <laughs> yeah, it probably is. That is a very Alpha Flight name. Yeah. Right? It's like yeah. Captain Maple Leaf or whatever over here. And I think or like the mountaineer, because he had on like one of those hats. But anyway, like they're <laughs> they're fighting between one another and just the frustration because his son was a gay man who um died of AIDS and North Star had just adopted this child who had AIDS. So it was just the whole thing and by the end of the issue, like it was like, Oh wow, I'm crying. But this is from ninety two. And it was done, I don't even want to say for like 92 standards, it was done well. Like in general, it was done well. Except for like the use of homosexual, but I mean, it is correct, but it just felt like kind of weird reading that. Right. Um, But anyway, like it was just so well done, but like, this is what comics has been for a long time. So like when I read something that's super regressive in 2021, I'm just kind of like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, why did you choose this? this is across the board, not just with comics and and superhero stuff, right? But like,
4: I feel like nostalgia is this kind of rosy colored veneer on the past. And a lot of things get filtered out through the lens of nostalgia when you think back on things. And that's just natural. Yeah. But then the problem is that if we allow nostalgia to kind of tell us what the past was, and then we extrapolate based on that erroneous foundation we end up in weird fucking places we end up with much more conservative stuff mm-hmm. we end up with much less queer stuff much less brown stuff much less femme stuff like all of these kinds of things are completely erased and so it almost feels like we well we can't do things that are quote-unquote transgressive even though they've already been done because we assume that that's not real that that's not a thing i think back to a bunch of stuff like i look at comics rather um And people criticizing uh, characters like Superman, who definitely is like a major pillar of my personal morality. Uh, (laughs) Even though Batman's much more favorite. But I think about it (laughs) and I I think about like, people assume that he is this very straight-laced Boy Scout, right? So that's quote-unquote his personality. Well, what does that mean? Well, viewed through the lens of nostalgia, that means someone that is very, very... Innocent is the wrong word, but, like, certainly not worldly in many ways. That's someone who maybe—or or Steve Rogers is another good example of this, right? Like, oh, he wouldn't cuss, and he wouldn't, you know, like, he would blush at, like, sexual, like, you know, like, uh, innuendo and, like, all this stuff. And it's like, these characters were conceived of in the 40s, <laughs> like, 30s and 40s. Uh, also, you can tell me
2: Steve Rogers isn't gay every day of the week, and I will not believe you. Definitely gay.
4: But also, like, Steve Rogers is a soldier, He can cuss with the best of people. He knows what sex is. He knows, he's personally seen what real violence is, right? Like, so he's not an innocent. He's not, you know, just because he believes in things like equity and equality does not make him naive. But people assume that because one of their core traits is this idea of equality and equity, then they must be naive. So in order to write them, we have to write them as naive. And I'm like, no, that's not it at all. <laughs> they they wrestled with all the fucked up stuff and went, no, we have to do better. So we're gonna. <laughs> like,
3: I mean, and even you see it happening in live, like in real time. Uh, WandaVision was a great example of that. How, you know, by the end of that series, it's just like if you had any critique of the way that Wanda has to deal with any kind of consequences, um, which was, uh, you know, sacrificing the children and robot that she brought back to life at the expense of this entire town. Um, that, that is, I don't know, like actual, you know, justice or whatever, but if you would have felt differently about that, it's just, well, you know, you don't think Wanda suffered enough, but it's like, no, um, actually these people also suffered and one doesn't offset the other. Like, Right. You can still appreciate Wanda as a character, but also at the same time, like acknowledge the fact that, ooh, like yeah, she really did some fucked up shit. Um, yeah, yo, like so, <laughs> and like, it's okay. Well, it's not okay that she did fucked up shit, but you know what I mean. Like, it's it's okay to portray it. This is a flawed character. Yes. Yeah, it's it's
4: it's like this is not always the case, right? But sometimes hurt people hurt other people, yeah. and. That does not mean that they deserve the hurt that they went through at all, but it does mean that they have to reckon with the hurt that they have caused. And that, to me, that's good story stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's grist for the mill. Um, To me, WandaVision, that's where it begins. Like, that's what should be the launch point. There should be a season two, and that's what she should have to wrestle with. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and I think that's why
2: Livewire is so amazing, is a man that didn't get to kill a bunch of people and be like, oh, fuck it, I'm a superhero. Like, she has to deal with all of this fallout. People don't want to be close to her. People that she protected don't want to talk to her. Right. Her her literal past is haunting her in the form of Pan. I love Pan. What a a piece of shit. I love them so much. beautiful piece of shit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was like, I want to make out with you. I want to, like, be friends. I also think you're terrible. It's very confusing.
4: You know, a good villain is always very like, you know, like, oh, I want this, but I don't want this. But yeah, like, (laughs) so Amanda, like one of one of her kids, right, is like, don't you dare say that you did these things in our name, right? And I think that there are certain stories in certain era of of superhero stories where like she would have been excused for the things that she did because there was this other kind of scale that we're looking at, right? Like, yes, this terrible stuff happened, but she was pushed to it, and also she's done so much good. But to me, the whole point was, like, this isn't, like, cold hard math. It's not, like, you know, PEMDAS. Like, that's not how it works. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. That's not it. It's, there's there's living human cost. It's not mm-hmm. about, you know, like, she killed 100 people but saved 2,000. Like, that who? That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Um, and I think that that's kind of a, a move that I'm seeing just in general in superhero stuff right now, which makes me really happy, where, you you know, you're wrestling with things that, might have, in, in times past, not been the center of the story, which doesn't say anything bad about the stuff before, right? Like, it just means that we're moving towards
1: examining more of this kind of, like, human cost of, of everything. hmm Which is, like, the next logical step, really. This conversation reminds me a lot of my favorite thing in the world, Xena Warrior Princess. And... <laughs> <laughs> Another pillar of my morality. I am loving that I can make this segue and, like, it's actually kind of natural because normally I'm like, that reminds me of Xena Warrior Princess. And everybody's like, what doesn't? Every, yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> Everything is like Xena Warrior Princess. It I really agree. Is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sarah's like, yeah. Vindication. Oh, yeah. Vindication. I'm the first
4: one to absolutely support that.
1: <laughs> no, because you're the one who I remember you tweeted. About the Xena Warrior Princess soundtrack, and I was like, okay, Vita is my friend. <laughs> like, we can at least go track by track and be like, this meant this to me whenever I yes. was 12 years
4: old. <laughs> A hundred, 110%. Let me tell you, uh, I won't waste your podcast time, but we'll talk to the side about those CDs. <laughs> like,
3: <laughs> how CDs. I wore out those CDs.
1: Yes, but I would like to talk just a little bit about it because to me, the Xena comics are kind of underrated hits. I did like a whole article for sci fi that was just talking about how there's a ton of really cool stuff that happens in Xena comics. And also, though Xena and Gabrielle totally kiss in yours and get to be gay or queer, that's not the first time. Like, there's other runs where they kiss. So I was like, oh. The comics are like queerer than I thought, I guess. But <laughs> that's awesome. But and also kind of good. I mean, I've read a ton yeah. of really good ones. So yeah, I don't know. How did that come about? How did you end up writing Xena? And then, of course, how does Xena play into this? Because we've talked about redemption arcs through this oh. whole episode, and like Zena is the redemption arc, right? Like
4: <laughs> to me, she's like she is the blueprint, <laughs> like redemption, arcs. right? Uh, just absolutely. So Zena's like. My number one favorite character of all time. And uh, in comics, you absolutely should make friends with people, right? Your peers. Uh, not just people you collaborate with, but just people that go to conventions and live in the same city and do what you do so that when you're a gremlin alone in your room, you have people to reach out to. Um, and one of my best friends in real life and in comics is Matt Rosenberg. Um, we used to work at Forbidden Planet together. Uh, we've known each other for almost 10 years now. And... Uh, he heard that they were going to do another arc of a Xena comic and he being super, you know, he's super friendly with everyone. He knows everyone in comics. He knew how much I loved Xena Warrior Princess. Uh, I talk about her all the time. Uh, <laughs> and so he kind of put my name in and just was like, hey, you might consider this person. They uh, know this stuff in their sleep. Uh, and so I had a couple of meetings with the editor for that book at the time. He was uh, he was very impressed that I knew like I could just chapter verse like Zena just absolutely. Um <laughs> <laughs> He was like, "Cool, cuz I don't know a ton, like I know some, but I'm like I've watched every episode at least 20 times each, like I got you." Um, <laughs> I know. Zena. Yeah, abso- absolutely. Um and so we started talking about what would be a fun kind of adventure that would have a larger arc, but also have a couple one-shots and maybe like a two-parter. Um just that kind of stuff and we came up with this idea of <laughs> Cena doing like going around the world <laughs> mm-hmm. I was Cena like I just want to send her to Mexico like can I send her to Mexico and he <laughs> was like yeah man do whatever you want <laughs> um but one of the things that was very important to me in that was a that she and Gabrielle were together and queer and I was prepared I was like I have receipts for days, so anyone who <laughs> needs any receipts,
2: I I got it. One of Sarah's theories that I am totally a truther about now <laughs> is that the whole series is just the story of Gabrielle coming out. Like oh, she definitely. cries. out. What? How do you do the song? What do you say, Sarah? Gabrielle cried out for a girlfriend, and <laughs> Zena came to her. Like, oh my god! So I just I was like, Vita would appreciate this. Like, we are truthers here at Bitches on Comics. That like. <laughs> Like, I didn't even realize it was subtext in the TV show. Like, I could have sworn they were doing it on screen, like... Because
4: of all of the
2: bats. They roll
4: around with each other all the time. Yeah,
2: my queer child self
4: was like, I see what's happening, and I like oh, it. Oh, yeah, I should have known I was I was gay long before I actually realized. But also, too, like, it was so casual on the show, right? Like, it's not yeah. like... It wasn't like, they're gay. Like, it was much more like, anyway, like, they're girlfriends, and, you know, like, they just go about doing their girlfriend things. You know, <laughs> right and wrong, singing songs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm telling you. Um, it's my it's my absolute favorite thing. Um, yeah, but so, yeah, I wanted him to be gay. And I also, um, I wanted to do a thing where to me, even as a little kid um, and, and through through now, I kind of looked at Gabrielle's character as like the what if, right? So Xena prevents Gabrielle from becoming like Xena to me. Just like Kalisto is the other side of the what if, what if Xena continued to be absolutely mm-hmm.
1: shit?
4: Um, and so one of the things that I wanted to do in the, in the comic was do like a middle ground of like, if Gabrielle's the more temperate version and Xena is the battle weary version, what's the like absolutely doesn't give a fuck version? And so I was like, Discord. Absolutely. It's like, that's the character that like. Yes. <laughs> They, it's, and I just wanted to do that kind of line and show how these different versions of a person would go through these adventures um, and, and they all kind of come to center, right? So they all end up kind of around the same place. But because Discord is Discord, she will always go back to being absolutely chaos. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just for no reason, ruining people's days. Which I appreciate. I enjoy. I loved that series. I thought it was so good. I was so excited. I'm glad that you got to go. I believe it was six issues. Is that yeah, right? yeah, six issues. It was a dream. I would have read it for literally another hundred issues for sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, comics, I guess. But I'm so glad you worked on that. Because to me, as I said, I've liked a lot of the Xena comics that I've read. I love Some them. Some I didn't like so much. There was like early ones where it was like, <clears throat> early ones were like not as good. But <laughs> Sorry. Tops Entertainment. I like some of
4: the Tops ones. There was the uh, the Hercules Xena wedding that was a total fake out. I thought that was so funny. Okay, (laughs) so
1: like the face that June Brigman draws on Gabrielle and Aeolus is so funny because (laughs) like it's all a wedding between Xena and Hercules and (laughs) both Aeolus and Gabrielle are in the crowd, like, mm mm. I
4: love it because they knew too.
1: Like it was all, yeah, that's. I, I will I will refrain from talking about Xena forever because I could literally talk about Xena forever. Exactly. We might move on to other comics now, but thank you for talking to me about Xena because no, thank you. that's my next podcast. Is, this just all Xena all the time.
4: I'm actually doing a, a Xena podcast with my mom where we're watching each episode and then like we're talking about it, but then also we have a how gay is it scale and a how oh well is Xena's redemption God. going scale.
1: Uh-huh.
4: Is this actually already coming out? Not yet. No, I have like oh, nine fair. episodes banked that I have to edit. Um, but yeah, my mom, a 70-year-old Puerto Rican woman and me. That is so <laughs> fun. I cannot wait.
2: <laughs> Please let us know when it's out. We will we will share it. We will listen to
1: it. We will <laughs> laugh.
2: We will cry. It will be beautiful. <laughs> I'll um, let y'all know. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I think Xena played a an integral role in in my understanding of my queerness. The comics are so powerful, you know, just to even see them... It's not even just the kiss on screen. It's there's so much that tenderness that I remember from the show is just everywhere in in the panels that you wrote. And it's just so, it feels so um, abundant. I was like, what's the opposite of scarcity? Like, I felt like it was just such a scarcity. It's called abundance. Oh, my God. Uh, there was so much abundance of their queerness and so much abundance of their attraction and so much abundance of their love. And it's just like,
4: oh, thank you. You know, I need that. I wanted it to feel natural, right? Because it's like, I, I too am desperate for them to be like canonically on on page and screen queer. But what does it look like for a couple that's been together for a while, right? Like they're not yeah. all over each other all the time. Um, I'm, at least not on panel because I couldn't get away with that uh, because children <laughs> will read it. But But like, you know, you have in-jokes and you have like... You know, very casual touching and all this stuff. If you've been with someone for a while, you're very comfortable with each other. And I was like, see, queer people, they, they're just, we're just normal. Just normal folks going about our normal lives. (laughs) And and I really appreciate
2: that. I like the way that your stories also, it seems to me, frequently, at least if not all of them, inject non binary characters in who are just like, no one has to be like, what? They? What is, are you talking about a group of people? Like, I'm fucking (laughs) over that joke for my God. You just bring in non-binary characters so organically, so beautifully, and I I really love it. And I want to make sure we talk about Quarter Killer for that very (laughs) reason, because Quarter Killer is just the smoothest, the coolest, like one of the most interesting characters that I have seen in, just in (laughs) comics. Um, And I just, I love Quarter Killer, and I'm just, I would love to hear more. You know, we had... Danny on for episode forty-five. Danny Lore came on yeah, and yeah, talked yeah. to us a little bit about Quarter Killer. So I would, I wanted like, oh, I, I got to like jump at the chance to talk about like to the other half about Quarter <laughs> Killer. Like, so you know where where did they come from, and then you know what was so important about them for that cyberpunk hip hop setting? Like, why did Quarter Killer have to be the person there?
4: So uh, Quarter Killer was an idea that Danny and I came up with within 2 weeks of talking to each other within 2 weeks of meeting we became immediate friends in the way that shouldn't be possible once you're like out of high school but like it was just, we look, literally looked across a room and I pointed at them and they pointed at me and I was like you yeah. and they went you and then we were literally we did not part for 2 weeks it was just like trauma bonding <laughs> just like looking in each other's eyes for 2 weeks um but we we came up with a lot of jokes during that time And one of them was about someone uh, like an assassin who didn't actually kill people in the future when money like is not physical anymore. But they only work for quarters because it's untraceable and also because they want to use it in the arcade and to call their mama. Right. Like that's that was that was it. That was our and we just chewed on that for 10 years. And we're both really big cyberpunk fans, um, big manga fans, big Western cyberpunk stuff as well. And we were like, but like cyberpunk, when it works the best is the story of the marginalized, not the story of of the fancy people that live in the shining towers, right? Um, It is about how technology uh, is used to oppress people, but can be taken by the oppressed and and turned into something else and turned into not salvation necessarily, but turned into ways to, to cope. And so... We thought, well, all right, all right, then our hero is someone who, who is, that's them. You know, this is not anti-technology. This is embracing technology. Um, this is finding weird ways to hack your body and hack, you know, the computers and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then, like, just through the course of our friendship, we've both kind of just come out as non-binary and, and really done a lot of, like, introspective work about what gender means to us and what that relationship between our gender and our bodies is and 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 all this kind of stuff and uh, we wanted that reflected in the hero because what we wanted to show was someone who was completely comfortable with themselves like in a way that we wanted to be comfortable with ourselves i think anyway that's my that's my take on the character
2: (laughs) i love that i love that so much and 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 that really resonates. And then I think what's really cool is, and thank you for making such an easy segue for me, is you have also these characters you do on the complete opposite end of the spectrum who who don't have any comfort with their their body. And I'm thinking of Cosmar in particular. Do you say Cosmar
4: or Cosmar? I say Cosmar, but like Cosmar. I also can like never. Cosmic. Yeah, I, I didn't make her up. So like, I only assume that's how you say it because I've only seen it read
2: <laughs> I love. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I think that that's you know, Cosmar so goes through so much anguish around you know their body, and and that's so much of what I I feel like I resonate with as well as a non-binary trans person is like I feel like on my best days I've got some of you know quarter killers, suave and and comfort, <laughs> and then like on different kinds of days I've got you know Cosmar's fear of self and self-hatred and I I guess it just feels really powerful to have you writing these characters and as a a non-binary creator like you're able to bring layers of understanding around the body around gender around the discomfort with oneself or the growing comfort with oneself or the some days you wake up and you don't know what you're gonna feel and I just it feels really important to me reading those comics. And I, I guess I'm curious when, when you think of Cosmar, what do you enjoy
4: doing with that character now in, in The New Mutants? So the, that character is actually a, a girl, which I didn't, you know, mm. this is not a character that I, that I invented, although I saw her and immediately was like, she's mine. I love her with all my heart. But one of the things that I actually wanted to do with her was explore these ideas of your body and waking up in the morning and not recognizing yourself or being incredibly uncomfortable in your own skin. Um, And I, I thought she was the perfect character to do it, A, because her transformation when she manifests into being a mutant is so extreme, (laughs) <laughs> she goes from a very typical looking young 13 year old girl right into someone that like looks like a space alien and i wanted to do it through her specifically not using a non-binary character for two reasons one i think that there is a lot of stuff like that that i have personally gone through but when you have trans stories and non-binary stories often it's just about transness and non binariness and that's it it's a very very like narrow band and i don't think that's bad i think that those are things that we have to explore but i really want my non-binary characters to exist <laughs> to just like be like they can have their struggles but i for me i i don't want to make them only have that kind of struggle so i was like well this is the thing that is universal and this is the thing that i think anyone who went through puberty <laughs> no matter where you fall on the gender spectrum um you can relate to waking up one day and being like, this is not my body. This is not me. I hate this. I don't know what's going on. And a lot of people, you know, grow into being comfortable with themselves. And some people continue to struggle, whether or not they're cis or trans, um, you know, either way. And so I wanted to explore that with this, with this girl. Um, and I thought to myself, If I can do that with her, then I can do other stories with non-binary characters and try to bring them to the fore for other kinds of struggles that we go through all the time and try to show that non-binary people are people and our struggles can be universal too. But I I really found it really important to do that with Cosmar because in a very real way, like uh, for me anyway, when I went through puberty, it was an absolute nightmare for me. I woke up one day and I had breasts and I was like, I would like to never do that. Let's go back. (laughs) Let's go back in time and get rid of these. I do not like the attention. You know, I felt very not like myself. But also, like, I feel like your body becomes not your own when you go through puberty, especially if you're someone who develops breasts. (laughs) And I wanted to kind of, like, show all of the ways that we sometimes trivialize that, that shock that people go through. You know, like, I have Danny... Danny Moonstar, who is one of my favorite characters of all time, um, mm-hmm. who's very reasonable and very loving and very accepting person, you know, say to Cosmar, like, no, you're perfect, right? And that, as as a person who is going through that shit, is not what you want to hear. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're like, no, I am suffering, goddammit. But, like, both people are kind of right in that situation where Danny's going, to, like, no, you, I love you. Everything that you are, I accept you. And Cosmar's going, get me out of this fucking thing. Uh, turn this car around. Do not fucking like it. Um, I hope that when the resolution to kind of that stuff comes at the end, um, it's, it's satisfying for anyone that's reading it, right? Because I think that like, I don't want to leave her in this place of being unhappy with herself, but I do want to talk about how we can work to be who we are and we should do that. But also, like the things still happened. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, well,
2: and I think that that moment with Danny, I think that you hit the nail on the head. Is that they're they're both right. And and I'm I'm very much a person who believes that any degree to which anyone wants to transition, any way people want to transition, I'm like hell yeah, do you right. like whatever's going to make you feel alive and good. Like we need you here, so do what you need for you. And I don't I don't think passing should be our highest priority as as binary and trans people i think right. there's there's so much more and I, I, and i felt that tension i remember reading that panel and just being like oh damn danny like that's <laughs> so close to like what that's like like it comes from so the right place and it and i could even see myself saying that to someone right. and that being deeply problematic so it was just this beautiful Again, I, I think we could come back to, like, true and real moment where, you know, Danny is such an incredible character, is so loving, and to not be able to make Cosmar feel better, I know, is a huge... It, it seems, at least in the pages I get to see, that it's like, a huge pain for oh, yeah. for Danny. And, Absolutely. And it's <laughs> beautiful. It's, like, how wonderful to hurt with someone, you know? Like, to just, like, hurt because you want... I'm going to make myself fucking cry. Oh, oh my God. Because
4: you want them to have... Oh, more and better and I think that there's nothing that you want for the young people in in your life especially ones that are going through things that you went through than to feel relief and safety and but the only thing that really brings those things is time and so like Danny's at a place in her life where like I don't think that she would change what she is anymore I think there was a time in her life where she'd be like, nope, I want to get rid of this. This is causing nothing but pain. And she has come to a place where she's accepted it. And I want Cosmer, I want her to find who she is, both on a, on a physical level and also on a, like on a spiritual level. But that's work that it just has to happen, right? And I don't think that, I think that our role as people who are, who are in the position to care for younger folks going through these things is to take, take them as they are and then help them safely actualize who they are. Like you said, like I think that whatever level that someone wants to transition is right. Um I truly believe though that like you shouldn't do anything for anyone else. Like if mm-hmm. you feel like you have to medically transition, then you have to medically transition. But if you feel like, oh, that's just what we do, then that's not right. You need to find the level that's right for you. And so like that's what we have to do for these young people. And so that's kind of the situation that I wanted to Kind of mirror, um, except that it's, you know, it's with two women. Well, Cosmer a child. Cosmer is 13. Also, just being 13 is a like trauma. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I'm just like, that is the worst time. Um, and so, but I want, you know, like, as, as Danny, as like an older, like, it, she's, we're not allowed to say how old they are, but she's in her 20s, right? Um, you know, <laughs> looking back at someone who's young, 13 around the age when we first meet Danny in the first new mutants, right? Like she's like 15, 16. Uh, and Danny going, like, no, like you'll get there. Like, you, you know, you're you're perfect. And it's like, uh, how many times do you hear that from your parents and want to be like, I'm gonna barf. <laughs> like
3: just, yes. yes.
4: <laughs> like, no, I'm suffering now. Like
1: <laughs> And you just, I mean, you nail the character of Danny Moonstar as somebody who's been reading that character pretty much my whole life. Um, it sounds like pretty much you have as well. I am so obsessed with her. And it took me back to, you know, her sitting in the in the stable and crying because she left her friends. Yeah. And, you know, like, I mean, we've seen her so, so many times be this person who takes other people's struggles on herself. I love that. And also, obviously, have to talk about Moonstar and Karma because, <laughs> yes, oh, man. they're in a bedroom. I'm Listen. like, oh, <laughs> I, didn't, I never dared to hope to dream. And now it's casually somewhat happening in front of my face. Um, I can neither confirm nor deny. I write yes. everyone is
4: queer yeah. to some degree or not. Like everyone.
1: Um, not any
4: particular kind of queer. Just queer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, generally. But that's my lens. Um, so, <laughs> but I also, you know, one of the things that like is a touchstone for me is that they go way back. Right? O-G-N, mm-hmm. back. <laughs> like, so they've known each other, to me, for their almost their whole lives. The, the, or their whole mutant lives, pretty much.
1: Yeah, because the first story is whenever Danny pulls out Karma's bad memory, yep. remember? like, So that's, that's like issue wild one. history. That's wild history to have with somebody. So yeah, I love like the way that Karma has to kind of lower defenses and show trust in Danny, and how that's even still hard, even though they know each other so well now, it's like they're both characters that just try to take so much on themselves. And I love, love, love reading their interactions. It's just been really fun for me, so.
4: I feel like, to to me, what I'm trying desperately to portray is their trust for each other and that even though things are hard, like the New Mutants in general, right? Um, That group. They've been through so much right. together that, like, they trust each other more than anyone else. Certainly, more than they trust—and uh, this is for
1: Steph—that ball-headed scallywag,
4: uh, Charles and Xavier, mm. <laughs> and
1: certainly more than uh, certainly more than the O five trust each other with versus Hank right now, right? Like, <laughs> certainly. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, I <clears throat> not
4: that Danny is canonically queer. I'm not saying that, but. <laughs> the new mutants are queer uh no but <laughs> i think that <laughs> one of the another unifying factor with the with the the og like new mutants right the original new mutants is that they're all like have a extra thing about them that makes them Marginalized is not always the right term, but like they—they've been through a lot of shit that like the the original five would not, right? <laughs> they were left unsupervised, <laughs> like. So Danny is Cheyenne, right? She's an Indigenous person. Roberto is black. Karma is is Vietnamese. Rain is Scottish Catholic in the early eighties, <laughs> right? Um, and then and Sam is uh, incredibly poor small town, rural town person, a coal miner, a literal coal miner. Yeah. Right? So like, uh I sorry, but like the original five, they don't know that kind they they don't know what that's about. <laughs> like none of that. They don't know what none of that's about, right?
1: Yeah. They're <laughs> like, we have like this wildly controlling father figure that's always messing with our heads, but we're like fed and comfortable. Yeah, they're all <laughs> able bodied, white cis yeah. <laughs> like uh, you
4: know, people who We're not starving. Rain was run out of town and almost murdered for being a witch. And is it, like, I just can't overstate her being Catholic in Scotland in the early
1: 80s. Seriously. No, there's like, I mean, the level of baggage that has come across, like, over the years with that character is just like, yeah, wow.
4: And so to me, like, those bonds. That they forged, uh, those yeah. are, like, they, they all come to the table with with some real intense stuff, and then they manage to form friendships. So they trust each other. They're ride or die. Like, to me, that's, that's mm-hmm. what, like, the hallmark of, like, the original New Mutants, is that they're ride or die. And I, I include Warlock in that, of course, and Dougie. Dougie uh, is the token, adorable, younger brother character. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I love The New Mutants. I've been loving your run. I was enjoying all of the stuff that I read before even. So I think that that's been a title that I feel always like a little apprehensive going into it because I'm like, I love these characters so much though, right? Like It's like one of those where you're just like, and then like whenever you read it and it's good, you're just like, yes, (laughs) they're doing what I wanted them to do. This is amazing.
4: (laughs) My hope for the series is for Rod and I to be able to tell stories that feel true to the characters. Rod's an incredible storyteller. I think that he does most of the heavy lifting there. I, I Yeah, I want to stay true to the characters, even if they don't end up doing exactly what people think they will or should. I want it to feel like something understandable, where you're just like, oh, I can see why that would happen. That makes sense for mm-hmm. these people at the stage that they're in right now, right? Like, contextually, these are not the same exact characters that debuted in 82 83 they've been through a lot of stuff there's been some paradigm shifts but i feel like i hope that i stay true to the core of who they are um because i love them i love these characters they're great also uh i i like called dibs on warpath uh james proudstar because i really wanted to put him in short shorts i was like a little a little <laughs> for the people that enjoy that. Yes. Here you are.
1: <laughs> Yes, James. All right. Here's James, everybody. Um, <laughs> Work that upper thigh. <laughs> this guy Stick with his, his shoulders. <laughs> 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 I'm definitely so much like the lesbian who's just like, look at him. Good for you. <laughs> look at him. He's Every, been doing this. Everybody's like, yeah, I'm I'm on it. <laughs> like, I'm literally already looking. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love I love James Proudstar. Yes.
2: And while we're talking about the new mutants, I know that like there are listeners who will be so mad at me if I don't <laughs> ask about Cam and about how My baby. Cam came to be, your baby Cam, and like why you think, God, don't we just love Cam? Like pissed off. I'm like, yeah, I'm pissed off too, Cam. Like, this, this shit <laughs> sucks. You know? And it's like, I just, where did Cam come from besides your inner heart?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I love them so much. Uh, Cam was one of the characters that um, her mom Peralta and I uh, got to introduce during Age of X-Men Prisoner X. There was a bunch of like background characters, um, secondary characters and tertiary characters that we got to design for that series. Everyone wants to bring their mutant babies uh, to the forefront when they do things. I'm no different. I'm a human being. (laughs) I am not above such things. Um, (laughs) But I I thought, and Rod is super into this as well. Uh, Rod's Rod's wonderful. I thought, well, this is a really great era to bring forth more trans and non-binary characters to just have around on the playing field so that other people could reach for them if they wanted to, you know, They are new characters, so they're not the title characters, right? But I wanted as much as possible. Um, And this is something that I think across the board, all of the X writers are trying to do, all the X teams rather are trying to do, is to bring whatever cool characters that kind of were sidelined, let's bring them back at least in the background so that you can see that they exist, and then we can reach for them. And so I was like, well, I'm going to just bring forth a bunch of the characters from Prisoner X, and a lot of them are queer, a good portion of them are trans and non-binary characters. So (laughs) Cam Long, the grumpy non-binary baby (laughs) Uh, who has a very sweet girlfriend (laughs) who tries to even them out.
2: (laughs) I would like to henceforth be called a grumpy non-binary baby.
4: (laughs) That's who I am. I'm just grumpy old (laughs) non-binary baby. Um, They're almost like my jock character. I was like, look... I love an a artist, non-binary character. I super dig that. But, like, we deserve some jocks, too. So, like, they're super athletic. Like, they're smart, too. But, like, they're super athletic and and kind of mean. But, like, mean in that way where you're just like, yeah, be mean again, though. <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> if you could just say
2: that again from the beginning and, like, yeah. look a little deeper into my eyes, that'd be great for me. Yeah,
4: yeah. like, a, I want them, like, in, in my... In my weird Archie X Men mashup universe, they're definitely a jock. Like they're they're wearing the jacket. They're not Reggie levels of mean, but they they can they can be a little mean. Uh, <laughs> they wear Letterman's jacket. To me, that's the kind of character they are. Beautiful. I love it.
2: Hey there, listener, friend, good looking. Whatever feels companion. right companion,
4: <laughs> Lifelong companion.
2: Lava. <laughs> We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. Seriously, like we are just so honored. We love to be in your ears, in your mind, teaching you things, changing how you <laughs> see things. This is
1: pretty intimate. Reprogramming your dreams. Oh yeah, that happened to me. It's just for fun.
2: Yeah, we are just, like, so pumped that you listen to us. Thank you so much. If you have the means, we would love to have your support over on Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash bitches on comics. The truth is, we run this podcast at a deficit. Sarah and I both work as freelancers. We're out here hustling, and we pay a sound engineer. We're okay with that. We're at peace. Like, we know what we're doing. But if you have the means to help us out, it would be amazing. We have so many loyal, awesome patrons right now. Thank you, every single person who supports us on Patreon. Your dollars, whether they be 2 or 20 they mean so much. They allow us to continue to do the podcast. And again, we're doing it at a deficit. So if you have the means, come help us out. For Even, I promise you, $2 a month helps. Because there's a lot of you, we know because we're watching your listening stats. <laughs> and if you can't help, it would be amazing. If you can't help, this is not a guilt thing.
1: We love you. We think you're fantastic. Those pants you're wearing, they look great. That shirt? Mm, I wish I had that shirt. I was like bold of you to assume that I'm wearing pants. But <laughs> that robe you have on, Sarah, it looks good. Very nice silk robe. <laughs> but I need a new one. Go to Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> this thing is literally like threadbare at this point. But you know what? That's not what's important. What's important is also on Patreon, you can listen to a ton of free episodes patreon.com
2: slash bitches on comics spell it out don't search it type it with your little (laughs) fingies
1: because you can't find us because we like to say the F-bomb which is fuck Yeah, just so you know, it's fuck actually is the one. Whenever people are like, can we curse on this show? And we're just like, you have to say fuck or we kick you off of the show. We're like, motherfucker, what do you think? Yeah. (laughs) They're like, excuse me? That's intense. Don't fucking come in here and fucking act like you're not going to say fuck. Like, (laughs) All of our lovely guests will be like, yeah, you know, fuck that. Oh, is it okay if I curse? (laughs) And it's like, well, you did. So, I hope so. (laughs)
2: So, holy shit, Children of the Atom. Like, how fucking fun is this comic? (laughs) I am loving it. So, you know, this is featuring, um, and, and tell me if I miss anybody, Marvel Guy, Cherub, Cyclops Lass, Gimmick, and Daycrawler. Yes, but he would be very upset. He would say it's Nighty Night crawler. crawler. But it I is did, officially Night Crawler. I did get crawler. through issue two. So I did get
4: through issue two. So I do know that it, he prefers to be called Nighty Night Crawler. He's 12. so
1: funny.
4: He's 12. There, like, I was like, what is, uh, this is the thing that I've only said in private, but I'm happy to blast it. Uh, I was like, what was Matt Rosenberg like as a 12-year-old? That's what this kid is (laughs) gonna be like. That's him. (laughs) So I was like, lovable but obnoxious, which I have younger brothers, so that's what they are.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, Children of the Atom is such a fun title. And okay, I know that at least one of the characters is
4: original, is that correct? All five, all five are All five are original? Yeah, I got to uh, craft uh, a team yes. of uh, of youngins, me and Bernard Chang.
2: Oh my God, that's so exciting. And y'all did a great team. Okay, so now I'm like, tell me the life story of every single one and why you love them.
4: <laughs> I have, um, I have <laughs> files. I have backstory <laughs> files on all of them with their favorite songs, their favorite mutants, oh, their favorite food. Oh. Um, I love my babies. Um, yeah, we're still early in the story, right? So it's like
2: we're still getting to know them and we're still... I think issue three is out at the time of recording. I just yes. haven't received mine yet. It's in the mail. It'll be here any day now. I'm very <laughs> excited. Um, but, you know, it's this the, the team of uh, five young mutants who are thwarting other former mutants from doing bad. And it's just like, they're so cute. <laughs> they all, like, name themselves, like, after
4: the original five, right? Like, all their, are all their names <laughs> a, a connection so, yeah. to Yeah, kind of. So the, the idea was Chris Robinson, who was originally editing the book, approached me and was like, do you want to write a young X-Men team? Like just new kids, just make them up and they super idolize the X-Men. Go. And I was like, yes. He had a couple of things that he had already worked out. Like Buddy was pretty fully formed, um, except that Buddy was a boy at the time. Otherwise, besides the names, he was like, go, go nuts. And so he ha- he came up with Cyclops Last and Marvel Guy and Cherub. And then I, I was like, those are whack names, except Cherub. Cherub's great. Uh, no, I was like, these are all whack. Like, I think Gimmick was Gambette, and I forget what Daycrawler was. Uh, but I was like, yo, you they have to reflect, like, what kids are like now. Like, they have way cooler. Like, these kids are way cooler than I ever was. They wouldn't do <laughs> stuff like that. Um, and he was like, no, because the leader, Cyclops Last, is, like, kind of old-fashioned. Like, that's, that's just her personality. And she names them all. And I was like, all right, okay, cool, 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 cool. That makes sense. TLDR, buddy names them all. Um, and so that's, that's kind of why their names are a little bit more like what you would expect. But the idea was that imagine if kids wanted to be the sidekicks to mutants instead of hating mutants. And I was like, oh, I can, it's me.
1: I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that. Yeah, that was me
4: a hundred percent. And then, you know, like we tweaked stuff. We wanted to kind of like do a book that was kind of a logical, like what would a kid who grew up thinking the X-Men were the coolest want to do? Like mm. what you know, while still being a like they're obnoxious kids, like I love them all, um, they're all my favorites, but.
2: You know, yeah, they, they do kind of see everything through the same teenager lens, right? Like the way they talk about basketball is like with the same intensity they talk about like being vigilantes. And <laughs> you're
4: like, friends, those aren't on the same scale. <laughs> it's it's pretty bananas, right? But I also <laughs> wanted to be like kids now are way fucking cooler and way more skilled at things than we ever were. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I mean, there were kids that were, <laughs> you know, when I was a kid that were much cooler than I were. Clearly, I was not very cool. I was- But like the idea that like a lot of kids now do stuff, like they're all like makers, like they do things publicly. What does that look like for like superhero kids? Do they still care about the same things?
2: I just love that they actually talk about how their costumes come to be and how like they change them. I feel like I'm always annoyed when I'm watching or reading a superhero thing. and I'm like, where did the costume come from? I want to know who made it, why they well, made it, why it looks like that. And, read like, issue we three. get that. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. So, <laughs> I've seen teasies
4: of it so far. <laughs> it's I, Every time I do one, I'm like, oh, this is my favorite. No way. Oh, this one. Um, issue three is Carmen Centric. She's my sweet little lesbian baby. And she is a cosplayer. And so she makes our costumes because cosplayers are fucking sorcerers. No, are, yes. I do not understand it um but to no. me like that was something that was really important too was like i want it all to kind of be plausible ish right so like that's why for example like in costume gimmick sh- throws sewing needles like the the pins sewing pins because those are cheap you could get like a bajillion d of them it's not all face cards right like i don't know how gambit like you know, supplements that have it. <laughs>
1: because uh, he's a thief. Yeah, For stealing exactly. those packs of cards. You know, that's true. That's a 100% fair. <laughs> I wish it wasn't, though. If the uh, X-Men
2: animated series has anything to say about it, it's by flirting with women in gift shops. Smart. <laughs>
4: this is why We just pocket all of it Which, cards. if it works, it works. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Respect. I love gibbet um that's my boy but yeah so i wanted it all to to kind of feel all plausible um and i wanted i'm also a person who i don't need to know every granular detail of something to enjoy it i'm totally fine as long as things are consistent with them themselves to just let things be but when i'm making something i want to know everything about why everything is the way that it is um so it has to make sense to me and so i was like yes where are these kids doing this all right well at least two of them have, after, you know, have jobs, right? They, they have income so they can afford to get the materials to make these costumes and like stuff like that. <laughs> none of that ends up on the page. Almost none of that. Um, Gabe does mention that he has a job. Um, but yeah, I just relished the opportunity to kind of, for me, I'm, I'm trying to merge what I loved about the original X-Men and what I loved about New Mutants. Like the feeling that the team gave you, not necessarily any specifics. So, like these kids all have, like they're they're closer to the New Mutants in that they all have their their kind of burdens to bear that is not being a mutant, right? But at the same time, uh, they are kind of reveling in in the powers that they find themselves having. I'm trying not to spoil number three for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Should I? I feel like so. Only one of them is actually a mutant. None of them know that except for that one. Um, okay, so, that is what I had
2: gathered from the gates, um, yes. was
4: that they didn't know that they weren't mutants. But I didn't know one of them was. So, so they, they all are hu- quote-unquote human, right? Like they all, they all think that they're human, and then one of them manifests in issue three. So that sets that character apart from everyone else. Which is its own. oh damn, the equilibrium's about to shift, oh yeah, oh yeah, so that that is a thing too, um, and three, you get a little bit of their of how they got their powers, which I think is kind of fun
2: <laughs> i I can't wait it it's it's so delightful to you know i all their jokes about old people, <laughs> oh my god, you're just like I feel burnt left and right, and i I, I, love I visited
4: it. like a a Two years ago now, right, in the before time, I visited uh, like an after-school program in Brooklyn and I got <laughs> roasted alive by these kids. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yep. I couldn't even fight it. I was like, all of this is fair. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> got to include
2: that. Got to get oh. those roastings in there. It, it's it just... Brutal. And their team, I think you you hit the nail on the head, like their team makes you feel so amazing. Like reading about how much they love each other and like how much they have each other's backs and even like their internal narrative, right? Where like they're not telling each other necessarily how much they love each other, but they are thinking <laughs> about it. And I'm like, oh, this makes me feel magical reading this. Like, oh my gosh, you're right. We are stronger together. Teams are great. You know, like
4: that's how <laughs> I feel the whole time. I'm just like, yeah, good point. <laughs> that's what I want more than anything to kind of get across is that there are very different people that have come together because they are friends and they, they're they family. They love each other and they got each other's backs no matter what. And that, at the end of the day, is real. And all the other, you know, it's a, it's an X-Men comic, so there's going to be drama, right? There's always drama. But all of that does not hold a candle to the love and trust that they have for each other. Um, it's, yeah, I love those kids, man. They're, they're funny. They're funny kids. <laughs> <laughs>
2: they're so funny. And you know what? I... I I think I finally settled on my like big thematic question about your your oeuvre. <laughs> and, and it is, there is this, this constant tension, it seems to me in your work, between the idea that like we are stronger together, that the communal is what we need and that the individual must be themselves You know, if the, even if there is a cost, right? Like you have to be who you are. And, and I'm curious, like, A, do you agree? And B, I'm like, oh, you're on the spotlight now. Wait, that's the whole podcast. Um, and then, you know, if, if it is, like, what are you trying to say if, if you're willing to share? Like, if we can peek behind the curtains, dear wizard, and, and see, um, like,
4: what, what, is, what do you think is is the argument you're making? I think I, I tentatively agree, I think, if I'm, if I'm interpreting it right. I think that in order to have a strong and healthy community, then you must be true to yourself, right? But I think that being true to yourself does not put you at odds with community. I think what it does is it makes you better able to serve your community. So I think that, like, for example, in, in the wilds, Daisy comes to a point where she goes, I can't, I can't function in this compound, this is not my community um, because it is an exploitive system. And even though it's starting to change by the end, like it's not healthy for her. Woodhead had continued, she and Heather and Eli, um, their next move, uh, which is not really a spoiler because I don't know if it'll get made, but even if it does, it's just a premise, right? Is they have fixed up an ambulance and they kind of drive around helping people and making, you know, making sure that People that are out in the wilds are are healthy, whether that be the people that live out there or people who are trying to travel between settlements. Um, And so I think that that is consistent with the idea that you have to serve your community, but you have to do it in your own way. You have to do it in a way that is true to yourself. So in something like New Mutants, I think that that's the core of the book, right? Like you have all of these people who are kind of, because of the paradigm shift in the Marvel Universe and because of Krakoa, are trying to find the best way to serve their community. And so some of it is going to be kind of emulating things that they've done before, but some of it is also not. Um, some of it is finding ways to support people like Cosmar, like Josh, I don't know if you've read issue 17 yet, uh, <laughs> of New Mutants. Um, I think it's on my bedstand. stand. Okay, um,
2: you'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited. Um,
4: yeah, like, there's still, you know, that's still the bottom line for me, right? I don't think that you can serve your community. And I view community almost like a tapestry or a basket where like, if you're not your best self, if you're not your truest self, you're almost not there. You're a missing piece. Mm. Um, mm. And so I think that self-actualization in a very real way is very important to serving your community, to so being part of your community. Um, I keep saying serving because I think that like everyone serves everyone in community. But I, I mean, just being part of that, organic system because I view community as a system. Yeah. Like the, the idea
2: of like showing up in, in like the most sort of like non-obligatory sense, like of, of being oneself in, in, in one's fullness is important for communities to survive. And I mean, that's exactly what I see in your work. And I think that that's, you know, I described it as attention, but I think you put it even better with the idea of the, the tapestry or the basket, the, the weaving, right? Like Right. The the idea of us coming together and literally right, like woven things are stronger than individual right. pieces of reed or fiber, I mean to say. I don't know, I'm all I'm all emotional, I'm all moved. <laughs> I'm like gotta keep my basket <laughs> complete, you know? Like it's, well, it, that's such a beautiful way of putting it.
4: Are you a knitter at all? I'm like I, I'm, I'm not super into knitting. So knitting, um it's just looping a bunch of string together right you just make loops and they go within each other and they build this beautiful thing but if you fuck up and uh drop a stitch it unravels the whole thing so like one being your truest self means that you are are you are fitting within the space for you um and you deserve it right like i think that everyone deserves to self-actualize and that's the only way that you can truly kind of connect with people um, in a way that's healthy for you (laughs) if that makes sense uh yeah (laughs) And I think that's a process, right? There's no, like, end point. Mm. Like, I am actualized, right? Like, no, the process of being true to yourself is what I'm talking about. Not any specific, you know, spot on the journey. Well, I feel like I've had a good
2: therapy session.
0: I've <laughs> a lot to
2: think about in the world and how I'm showing up,
4: especially now that I'm vaccinated. Uh, hmm. Yeah, that's that's really powerful. I don't know. I This is all me working it out on the page, right? This is all creation is partially your own internal struggle and questioning. <laughs> so,
2: Absolutely. I think that that's what makes for the most rich reading is, is not when someone's preaching at you, but when someone's sort of like uh, solving a puzzle next to you and is like, I don't know, what do you think of this piece here? Like kind of works, right? Doesn't it? Doesn't <laughs>
1: like I kind of think of those.
2: <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> I want to know what is on the horizon for you. I don't know what can be <laughs> what <laughs> can be talked about. I'm sure that that's the unending struggle. Uh, this will go. Did you say June 30th is the date, Essie? Yes, indeed. All right. So June 30th. So what will you have on the horizon? Oh boy. <laughs> um, June. Well, uh, static. I'm, I'm working
4: on static for DC Comics. That's a thing. Oh, what? Yeah. So, yay! Yeah, that's incredible. I'm super stoked about it. It's beautiful. Nick, my collaborator on that, is transcendent. He's honestly outdoing himself with every page. It's incredible, um, and we're really blessed to have Crisscross on on layouts in that as well. And Nick is doing pencil inks, and, and colors. So, yeah, I think that's that's what's out. I, it, Hellfire Gallo will be will have happened. I think, yeah, at that point. That's so exciting. New Mutants 19. I think that's what I got. Oh, the Pride issues for DC and, and Marvel will be out. Um, So I did a question story for DC. And uh, I did a little pocket spinoff of my New Mutants Hellfire Gala, which is my story for the Marvel Pride issue, which I'm really excited about because it's all about karma. My baby.
1: Yes. Yes, I'm so excited to hear that you wrote uh, about the question, too. That's Uh, another one of my favorite, underrated, completely underutilized characters. I I fucking love her. I've been very gently
4: campaigning to do a question series
1: for a long time. That makes me very happy to hear because it means that it might happen someday. (laughs) And I, as literally a huge, huge Renee Montoya fan, and... I mean, I love even the old question. Like, oh yeah. But also, I'm like, there's no comparison, right?
4: Like, <laughs> sorry, Vic. I cried when he when he went out. All right, like I yeah. I did. But yeah, I can't say that. You know, I'm sorry that she was the one to take up the mantle. Um, exactly. You know it was
1: like, oh, it's a whole new world. And then, <laughs> and then, of course, it was like, well, like two years passed. We didn't see her that much, and now she's doing something else again. She
4: deserves. She deserves all the attention. If I don't get to do a Montoya series. I have plenty of ideas for noir lesbian detectives, so
1: don't (laughs) you worry. It'll come out there somehow. <laughs> um, I'm like, a, you know, an inspector gadget, the bad
2: guy who's like petting Down the, the cat and like turns around <laughs> and is that's like, that's me just right now. I'm like, more Vita. <laughs> my life is just getting better with every month. Yeah. When uh, when Children of the Atom was announced, I, I missed it somehow. I don't know what the hell is going on with me, but uh, I get It was comics. a long time
4: ago. Don't worry about
2: yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I don't feel as bad. But I get my comics from Amalgam in Philly and they were oh, like, oh, Vita awesome. has a new comic. Are you getting it? And I was like, oh, my God, put it in my pull list. They were like, done. And I was like, see, this is why you go with a kick-ass comic book shop. It's just oh, the best. I love Amalgam. They're great. Oh, they're, they're so, so great. good. They're so good. Doing good work. We like to give them free ads like this. Heck home. yeah. Just like, they're just the mm-hmm. best. If you don't know where to get your comics, go look up Amalgam Philly and order your comics there. They'll ship them to your house. <laughs> it's delightful.
1: P.S. We lost Steph halfway through. This is very sad for us. I hope that Steph got to eat <laughs> some dinner before running off to the next thing. But yeah, we lost stuff, as those of you who haven't heard Steph talk for the last like 45 <laughs> minutes probably gathered. But follow Steph.
2: <laughs> At Steph underscore I underscore Will on Instagram and Twitter. I meant to say Twitter first, but who knows what will come out of my mouth. <laughs> uh, yeah, Steph's like, obviously, you, you all know Steph. Steph is uh, has been on five episodes of the pod, including episode 12, episode 26, episode 59, episode 67, and episode <laughs> 76. So, Vita, if people want to
4: find you on social, where can they find you? I am on a Twitter hiatus, but when I am on Twitter, I am at definitely Vida. That is also my Instagram. My Instagram is private for uh, protection reasons, but I try and go through and accept people. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. That's my online presence. It's good Good for you. <laughs> Take that Twitter
2: hiatus. I am very impressed. I'm always like, mm. Though I
1: will note, I like the videos that you find and retweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I try. And say unmute. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll just do that like i won't even like i'll just do i've been
4: going on and uh, whenever i get my marvel comps in the mail the single issues have uh codes for free digital comics like the free digital version of the issue and so i just go mm-hmm. on quickly and just like give them and then leave so maybe i'll also do some unmutes <laughs>
2: They're pretty much perfect. It's like, yours is one of the only ones that, like, if you tell me to unmute something, I'm like, oh, God, I'm in public, I'm getting headphones. It's like, (laughs) I'm at home. I'm like, stop talking to me. I need to listen to this. Um, Because they're always perfect. I mean, they're so different. Like, I just, yeah. What a curatorial eye for humor. It's what I need in my life. (laughs) Well, you know, Vita, this is just honestly a dream come true. We are huge fans of your work. It is so fun to talk to you about your ideas as they're unfolding, as you've had time to reflect on them, you know, from from The Wilds to Children of the Atom, everything in between. It is just it feels so good to read comics where there's so much heart and so much you're grappling with that again we get to feel like we're sitting next to you and we can solve a problem not together but like <laughs> adjacently and that feels really good so
4: thank you for for making comics that mean the world to us thank you so much for having me uh you know to me I'm just kind of wrestling with stuff and it ends up on the page and so to hear that like it's connecting with people always brings me so much joy i think like that's why I do it. I want to connect with people. Um, I don't think I have any particular like truths with a capital T. I just, I just want people to feel seen as much as possible. I, w- I always wanted to do something to help people. That was like my dream. I wanted to be like a doctor or, you know, something like that. And uh, but I ended up being a writer instead. So if it's helping anyone in any way, then I- I'm glad. Beautiful.
2: Sarah, you know, I love you. Steph. We yeah. love you, even though you're not here to hear it. We love you. Maybe you'll listen to this later and hear it. And then you'll find out, yeah. yeah we're not going to tell you any other way, so good luck. Hope, hope you listen to the end of the episode.
1: Unless uh, it's in code. Um. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and listeners, we are always so glad that you join us. Thank you for joining us for this incredible Pride Month. It is so good to celebrate the queer and trans creators that make comics exactly what they need to be and exactly what we love to read. podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women so if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations pop culture in general, conventions cosplay, you name it that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch they're pretty judgy about it so (laughs) we can't have it spelled out it is b. T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm Bitch.
1: If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those.
2: I'm Se Fleenor. you can learn more about me at seflenor.com.
1: You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at
2: se underscore flenor.
1: Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do
2: inhabit this land the Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization.